Well, I'm a tomboy at heart. For most of my life, I have liked boy things way more than girl things. Dolls, piano lessons. All those years I played, took piano, I can't play a note because I would much rather be riding my bicycle, mop 10 with my hair on fire, racing the boys in the neighborhood. I mean, that was just who I was. So it should come as no surprise to you that my taste in film, see, I call it film because my son's studying it. It's not movies, it's film. It sounds so much more highbrow. So my taste in film runs decidedly male. I love a great action um, like 300, that grunging music. I loved it. I'm like, from the moment it began, I was like, yes. And there's a really strong woman in there, and I liked that too. And so I loved that. I loved as well um, a real hero, William Wallace, from the film Braveheart. And Kristen, I can't believe it, but I'm going to scrap it because I think every minute counts. So I was going to show you a clip from the very end of that film. And if you will remember, if you didn't see it, I'll paint the picture. William Wallace uh, was a Scotsman who uh, gave his life to set his people free. And um, he had been captured by the English, and literally they laid him. And if you watch the film again, I didn't catch this. I didn't even know it till I was looking at it for this. They lay him out to disembowel him, essentially, is how they kill him in front of a cheering crowd. The thing they lay him out on, I saw it this time, it's a cross. Literally, it was a piece of wood this way with, they laid his arms like that. And I was like, wow, how did I miss that the first time? And they're begging him to just say, you know, I, I give in to England, blah, 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 blah. And the guy that's standing over him, who does happen to be wearing the cloth, um, in standing over him, say the word, just say the word, say the word. And in his last breath, he gives a battle cry like none other. And what does he yell? Freedom. That was the message. And you know what? It cost him his life. But just like William Wallace, we have um, a redeemer. And he gave his life as well to set us free. And so this morning, as I looked at these passages, what we're going to look at is freedom. And really three aspects of that. So open your Bibles to Isaiah 49. We are going to look at freedom from sin. Make sure we understand what that actually is. Then freedom from prejudice and freedom from legalism. So let's just start off. Um, and I'm going to just take selected verses because I feel like it's really important that we get a basic understanding. You've got to know that you can be set free in, from sin and what that means before any of the rest of it makes sense. So the term freedom in itself implies a previous bondage because if you're, you don't need to be freed if you weren't bound by something to begin with. And so um, this term uh, that's used in these chapters is servant. It's another term that needs to find. It's used seven times, but what does servant mean? A servant um, is, I think, really skewed. Our, our vision, our picture of what that is, is skewed by the culture we live in. I mean, we think of a servant. When I hear that word, I think of someone who's working for a rich family, or I think of... Um, I maybe think of serve my server at Chili's. Um, I think it's defined by the culture. We think of it more as something someone does for me, they serve me, than we do what the term actually means. That wasn't the case, however, when this was written. Look, what does servant mean? Well, what's in a name? That name servant, obviously more than Shakespeare thought. Um, what's in it is literally what we see here, that when these words were written, a servant was a slave. 
They were synonymous, interchangeable. A slave, someone that was owned by someone else, someone who had no freedom, someone for whom they couldn't dress or think or do what they wanted. They were owned and at the beck and call of someone else and very often were put to cruel labor or it involved things that were cruel. And what we need to understand from Scripture is our Bible tells us that all of us are slaves, servant, use it interchangeably, to sin, all of us, whether we know it or not. So, wow, you, I'm not, I live in America. I'm not a servant. I'm not a slave. I mean, you know, we got lots of people that if you confronted them and said, did you know you're a slave right now? They would just look at you like you were nuts or insane. Absolutely not. I don't even know what you're talking about. But the Bible, again, is clear. It's, this is not in a physical sense. This is in a spiritual sense that we are bound, that we are slaves. We're trapped and left to ourselves. We have no way out. Look at Romans 7. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave, servant, to the sin that is still within me. And so... That's a basic understanding. We need to know it's a level. All have sinned and gone astray. All of us are slaves in a spiritual sense. But there is a way of escape. Yes, there is. But it's got a high price to it. Just like with William Wallace, just like with Jesus Christ. There's comfort in knowing there's a level playing field and we're all in the same boat together. We're all sinners. Okay, that's great. And then suddenly when you think that, if you know the penalty for sin, which is death of one sort or another, all of a sudden you get this panic like, I got to get out. I got to get out. I mean, I got to get out of the boat. Panic sets in. And you know, it's really great because Paul, the apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, had the same feeling. And in Romans, he speaks to this fully and, and just in a passionate way. In Romans 7, he cries out to God and he says, who's going to free me from the law of sin and death? He knew he was trapped. And it's great because there's one way out and it's through a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And you see, this goes all the way back to Old Testament. In the Abrahamic covenant, God, and really all the way back to Adam and Eve, because when they sinned, God made a covering of animals for them. And then again, he made it even more specific in the Abrahamic covenant. And he said there would, the, the, the penalty, the price for sin would be the offering of a perfect, unblemished animal. Perfect blood must be shed. So go forward. Jesus then actually was that perfect sacrifice in, the, in, in a person, not in an animal, but his blood was shed for you and me. So for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God. It tells us that in 2 Corinthians. And so now we know there's a way to be free. All I have to do is bend my knee and, and actually proclaim or, or exclaim, say the words that I'm a sinner in need of grace, and I realize the only grace given is Jesus Christ. And so now I can know that as a believer, I can be set free in one sense, and yet I'm not really free in another. Because you see, again, Paul tells us that um, once we trust Christ, we're free from the, the bondage of, of being a slave to sin, but we can make a choice. We can choose to come under and be slaves again, not to sin, but slaves to one another, slaves to Christ. We can become servant. You see those terms interchangeably. Galatians says it this way, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants 
of one another. That's what we're called to be, servants of one another. It's really hard for me, and I am sure it is for you too, to grasp the concept of a servant or a slave. Why? Because I've lived all my life free. And yet, I think the clearest example we can have is if we walk into a prison in our society today. We have a place that, that people live in chains, and that, that's a prison. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but we've got women in this body, in this Bible study, who are part of prison ministry, who's, who go to women living in incarceration and take the freedom that can be theirs through Jesus Christ. Um, Sherry, where are you? I can't even find Sherry Johnston is one of our small group leaders and is part of the prison ministry. Elizabeth Tamlin has become a part of that. If you are interested in serving in this way, women living truly behind bars, no longer free in our society, and would like to be part of taking freedom through Jesus Christ to them. See one of these gals, they'd love to help you. And I think for me, nothing drove that home point clearer than the words from Stephen Curtis Chapman's song. Listen to it. He has a song called Free. But then I met a man whose face seemed strangely out of place. A blinding light of hope was shining in his eyes. And with repentance in his voice, he told me of his tragic choice that led him to this place where he must now pay the price. But then his voice grew strong as he began to tell about the one he said had rescued him from hell. And then he said, I'm free, yeah. Oh, I've been forgiven. God's love, you see, has taken off these chains and given me these wings. What a great story. So I encourage you to get involved if you can. And that takes us to freedom from prejudice. What does that look like? I think this was something the Israelites struggled with greatly. And what is prejudice? It's thinking that others are very different, see the word less, than myself, than me. You know, they always say you can't judge a book by its cover, but the truth is I'm guilty of it all the time. I judge people by the way they dress, the way they talk, um, the color of their skin. I'm guilty. And so were the Israelites. That's exactly what they did. But they did it to the entire Gentile world. You see, any nation outside of Israel they believed was tainted and despised. But that's not at all the way God intended it to be when he set it up. And that takes us to men, man, and woman are really good at messing up God's perfect plan, starting with marriage, family, and all the way to people who can do nothing for us. We mess things up. God created the the world perfect, and he made a perfect plan, and yet we seem to get in there and, and just do a, little, do a little thing to it. Listen to this. Back at the beginning, God had said that Israel would be part of the plan for the whole world. He said it again in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. And I will make of you a great nation, speaking to Abraham. I will bless you and your name will be great so that you will be a blessing. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. And now, all, not some, okay? And then if Abraham was confused, he wanted to tell him again. So just fast forward five more chapters in Genesis 17, he repeats it over another time. Behold, my covenant is with you and you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. For I've made you the father of a multitude. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come forth from you. So it was very clear to Israel, right? nations all were to be included in this plan. So fast forward to the New Testament and the story of the Good Samaritan. My word, what happened? Between there and there, what in the world happened? What would make a priest and a Levite walk past a man dying simply because he came from the wrong place? What would make them do it? They messed it up. They got it all messed up. And why? What was the reason? 
just good old-fashioned sin, spelled P-R-I-D-E. I'm better than you are. That's all it is. And so we see in these passages, you went right on in your lesson today from verse four to verse six, which said, what was he gonna make Jesus? What was he gonna make Israel to be? A light to the nations. So if Jesus is a light to the world, we should be too. Jesus came to break Israel's way of thinking. He did it at the beginning of his ministry when he initiated on the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say in Matthew 5? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, different translation is on the screen in front of you, a city set on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. He told them, this is who you are, because he was speaking to Jews, ladies. And then he went on at the end of his ministry when he was ascending to heaven in his great commission. What did he say in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples of who? Say it, ladies. Of who? All. Oh, there's that word again. It's just such an encompassing word, isn't it? I just can't get over it. All. A nation. All. And so, again, if God called his own son to be the light of the world, guess what? Then he calls his daughters, you and I, to be the same thing. And so I want you to meet a friend of mine. Um that we've been partnering with um, a place where we can be a light. Many of you know that in, in September, we introduced you to Carr Elementary and said this was a, a school in West Dallas that we were going to adopt and have the opportunity to serve. Every month we go down and make lunch for this um, group of staff and we do little things for them throughout the year. And so meet Christian Ruiz, who is the principal of Carr Elementary. And so wanna talk, yeah, you should, absolutely. So Christian, I want to know when, when Watermark, when you got news that Watermark uh, through Mercy Street in partnership with Mercy Street had decided to adopt your school, what were your thoughts when you heard this first? Okay, first of all, let me just say I'm not eloquent like um, Lucina, though I wish I were, <laughs> um, but I do have a lot of passion, so that hopefully that will at least um, come forth out of this conversation. But um, a, a brief history before um, when they came to me with a plan was... Um, well, I had been praying for a year. Um, in 2007, I became principal of CF Carl Elementary. And for two years, I did it on my own. And I said, oh, this is perfect. I know what I'm doing. I'm very successful. I was a successful um, assistant principal. And I was like, this is going to be easy. It was a small school in West Dallas. I was like, I'll be exemplary in no time. Oh, I've got this, Lord. Don't worry. I don't need your help. So um, for two years, I, literally two years, I would go home every night. My husband was like, are you sure you like this job? Because you don't sound like you like this job. I was like, what is the teachers and the kids? And I don't, I mean, everything was just um, kind of falling apart around me. And then um, things started moving to where I was, um, we were praying together as some principals got together, started praying together. And um, things started moving on my campus to where in May of 2009, I had a big group of teachers leave. And I realized at that moment, something was changing. And so of Ju July 18th of 2009, I gave, um, at a retreat when I had with eight other principals, I literally gave my school over to the Lord. I said, it's your school, not mine. I'm your servant, and I'll do what you need me to do. And so every night I had the same prayer that I had. And so when they came to me in June 2010, I said, okay, what took you so long? Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and Stephanie's like, well, we got here as quick as we could. I said, okay, well, because, um, you know, he does it. He has his own timetable, and sometimes we have a quicker one. But because um, I felt, well, I gave it to you a year ago, you know. But anyway, so when they came to plan, I was very excited because um, I did 
didn't know how big or how small it would be. I just knew that all of a sudden I wasn't alone. Um, because sometimes you're like, I'm in this alone, Lord, and, and all that. All of a sudden I was like, I don't. I have these strangers who don't even, didn't even know me at that point. Um, and now most of them do. But, um, and I was like, that's, I was so excited because I was like, okay, Lord, this was, you know, his light was truly shining through to say you were not alone in this, you know. And so it was such a comfort to me to know that, you know, that prayer and that perseverance of that prayer just really actually paid off because, um, you know, and, and every night I did the same prayer and I never gave up on it and it took a year, but y'all still got there. <laughs> so um, Watermark as a whole does a lot of things for this school. This Bible study in particular chose to uh, play the role of teacher appreciation. It's what a PTA would do essentially to uh, just be a, a uh, an arm of appreciating the teachers. And so um, in addition to the things that we do, providing lunch and some little treats to them along the way, many women in this study have also come in to tutor, be helpers in the classroom. And what has the effect of the things that we've done just this year been on your staff? Um, at first, they were like, what do they want? Um, I mean, I'm sorry, but it was. Um, when they, um, the back to school bash was the first big thing that happened on our campus. Um, we took a Saturday, and y'all brought in y'all's grills and volunteers and bounce houses, supplies for every kid, face painters, you name it. There were people there. Um, and so we actually had... Um, I mean, I don't even know. It was it was hundreds. And, and the kids, we had, I think, like 300 and something. We ended up serving, like, almost 700 hot dogs and hamburgers that day. So it was huge. So um, that happened. And they're like, okay. And then the lunches came. And the volunteers started. And then um, and such. And my teacher's like, okay, really? What do they want? I said, nothing. They do not want anything. You know? And so I try to tell them, you know, a, a thank you. But these people are doing it because of servant leadership. And I, and I try to, you know, I, I word my words carefully but I tell them it's not about people see what you do but God knows why you do it and so I think it's very important that um, you know and my staff now knows okay all they want really is a thank you you know and they really care that these people that you know you care about us and you're going back and praying for us and such and so it really has made a tremendous impact on our teachers um, they look forward to it I mean they know an adventure coming and or, um, or just like during Christmas we had people just stop by from y'all's Bible study um, one lady, she baked everyone um, a dozen cookies, and they just dropped by. But we're from Watermark. We have a dozen cookies for each staff member, and we're just like, what? And so I, everyone say thank you. Everyone say thank you. You know, it's just, I was like, just remember, just keep saying thank you because it doesn't, it's not, it shouldn't, and I tell the teachers, it's not, it's, it's not up to you why they're doing this. You know what I mean? They have their own, um, you know, things that they have to fulfill and such. And so I think that's the, and so it's been a tremendous impact, and, and, um, and, and on me too, because for a couple of years, I was doing it all by myself. I would cook the lunch. I mean, I would cook lunch, and I would do all these things and stay up late at night. And, and you know, when y'all bring in lunch, I get to sit and eat lunch. And, you know, it's just such a breath of fresh air because it's, it's and I can feel the, the enthusiasm the teachers have and such. So it's been a major impact on the morale and on, um, and how you feel. You know, it's like, and to know that people care about your school and your kids and you, and that you're not just some, you know, not left out on the island by yourself, that they're, you're really in this together with other people. And so does that, does that not just make you want to make a beeline down there? It is such a fun place to be. The, uh, there is a personality um, 
of every place you walk into, whether it's be it a school, be it a church, be it a, you walk into car and there is just a sunny personality that just envelops you because of what Christian has done and the environment she has, she has created. And I will tell you from my experience serving there, they are the most grateful group of teachers repeatedly that thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. So thank you so much. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, how we can do thank that. Thank you. So, yeah. So, so what about you? And then where are you serving someone who's very different from you? Whether it's socioeconomically, whether it's being a different color, whether it's being speaking a different language, where are you making a difference with someone who's very, very different than you? You know, it's so easy to serve where we're comfortable. Here, at Watermark. Well, I serve at Watermark. Well, I really think God's calling you to serve somewhere else as well. Get outside the box. And that takes us to freedom from legalism. Our last point, and what is legalism? It's really thinking that I am better than others because of what I do. The things that I do, you've heard my way or the highway. Well, that's really what legalism is in its most crude form. And you know what? We've got to understand God wants a relationship with us, not your performance. He doesn't care how you perform. He doesn't care how many Bible studies you're in or how many services you go to or how many meals you serve at the soup kitchen, even though I just asked you to do that. He doesn't care about how many of those you do. It's not what you do. It's what your relationship is with him. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter. I, I don't know if you know someone who's ever um, felt guilty for not doing the religious thing, whatever it was. And maybe it's, well, I didn't go to that XY service, or I didn't, um, I didn't kneel when I prayed right then and there, or I didn't, I was sprinkled and I wasn't dunked. And they get all hung up over the way they do religion even, and, and they feel guilty over it. That is not at all what God intended it to be. It's not. He set up a system simply to call people to himself. I love how Jeff Ward said it in his journey on Monday. God wants hearts that trust and obey him as opposed to external behavior modification and empty religious practice. Sadly, the Israelites fell into this trap, and so do some of us. But the warning is clear. Listen to what, what we're told in Isaiah 50, but, but watch out. You who live in your own light, exactly what Christian was saying, you know, I thought I could do it, and warm yourself by your own fires. This is the reward you'll receive from me. If that's all it's about, this is what you're going to get. You will soon lie down in great torment. That's not what it's about. And so it really paints a beautiful picture. Legalism dries up. It's salvation that frees you up. Israel suffered physical effects from going their own way. Literally, their land dried up and became barren. They may have obeyed God on the outside, but at the inside, their hearts were cold. And Jesus, again, speaks clearly to that. In the New Testament, what did he say in Matthew 23? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. What price did they pay? Again, they were hauled off as slaves to Assyria, to Babylon, and then ultimately it was Rome who ran over Jerusalem in AD 70 and dispersed the people to over a hundred different nations. They were done with the Jews. They wanted them out, be gone, go away. And the land suffered as well. So the land that was the place of land of milk and honey became instead dry and barren. And Jesus 
um, speaks to that. Um, we see it here in Isaiah 51. The Lord will comfort Israel again and make her deserts bloom. Her barren wilderness would become as beautiful as Eden, the garden of the Lord. Well, you know that the Jews have been dispersed, had been dispersed for 1,900 years until when? This was written really for Babylon, but it was written to prefigure the end of time. Guess what? In 1948, what happened? Israel became a nation again. And what happened? From the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, your daughters and your sons will come. Do you know if you are um, a Jew living anywhere in the world, you are given automatic citizenship by just coming to Israel and you receive all the rights and the benefits of being an Israeli citizen. You don't have to do a thing. You don't take a test. You do nothing. You show up on the doorstep destitute and they'll take you in and make you become fruitful. And do you know what, ladies? You know, Jesus spoke as well to this re, reuniting and, and to a land flowing with milk and honey, spoke to the day when he will set up a millennial kingdom. It's amazing to me. I really didn't understand it till I went to Israel for the first time. And before, I was given this book called Two Nations Under God, written by Tom Doyle. I highly recommend it if you want to understand a little bit about it. Listen to what he says about this very passage, the from barrenness to fruitfulness. For 400 years under Islamic Turkish rule, Israel was a treeless wasteland. Again, barren to fruitful. During the time when Israel was in dispersion and the Muslims ruled the land, swamps emerged and trees were cut down. But when Israel came back, in 1948. Since then, more than 100 million trees have been planted. The swamps are gone and the harvests are lush and abundant. I saw it with my own eyes. They grow everything. The malaria-infested area of northern Israel is beautiful again. A swampland until the 20th century, the Jezreel Valley was drained in the 1920s by Zionist pioneers and it is now home of Israel's major agriculture cultural breadbasket. There's a green line, though, and it separates Israeli territory from Arab territory. The Israeli territory is green because the plants are growing. In most areas, they're not growing on the Arab side. The reason for all the green within Israel is because Judaism values life. Islam does not. Oh, that God would liberate the beautiful Arab culture from Islamic life that is squelching um, a chokehold on them. Israel is one of only three countries worldwide that is self-sufficient and has no need to import anything to feed its growing population. Wow. And so what about you and me today? When you look at your own life, he characterizes it very clearly as a barren wasteland or as paradise. Your life, how would others characterize it? Are you a paradise? or a wasteland. Don't let legalism and prejudice choke out and steal your joy in your very life. Choose the freedom that's yours in Christ. And I'm going to close in prayer with these verses. So join me as we pray. You would not be pleased with sacrifices, or I would bring them, Lord. If I brought you a burnt offering, you wouldn't even accept it, because the sacrifice you want is broken spirit, my broken spirit, because a broken and repentant heart, oh God, you will not despise. So restore to me again the joy of my salvation. In your name, amen.